Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome, Love in Action Nation. So glad you're here, especially our new listeners in faraway places. This movement is growing, and I'm excited to tell you, we've now been heard in over 35 countries and counting. So my guest today is Kristen Hadid. Kristen is the founder of Student Made, a successful cleaning company that has employed thousands of students over the last decade and that is known for building the next generation of leaders. When Kristen started her journey, she had no idea what she was in for. I mean, the average turnover rate in the cleaning industry, get this, is 75%, and profit margins hover around just 15%. But even with the odds stacked against her, she built this amazing and profitable company that blew the industry benchmarks out of the water. Her people love coming to work, They stick around for years and some have even turned down dream jobs to join the executive team and build careers at Student Made. Kristen believes Student Made success boils down to one thing and one thing only, creating a place with humanity at its core where people are loved and cared for. And she's going to share a lot of different things that she does to make that happen. In 2017, she published her first book, Permission to Screw Up, in which she offers this unapologetic account of her biggest mistakes in leadership. And we'll be talking in great deal about what those mistakes were. Kristen and Student Made have been featured in places like PBS, Fox, Inc., NBC, Time, and Forbes. And her TED Talk has received over 3 million views. This was a fun conversation with a lively and fun person to talk with. I had a blast. So let's dive in. All right. So I'm here with Kristen Hadid. Finally, we get to sit down and hang out and chat. And just like I said in my introduction, uh, Kristen is the author of Permission to Screw Up, How I Learned to Lead by Doing Almost Everything Wrong. So welcome officially, Kristen, to the Love in Action podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I always start it this way. And that is with this question. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days, Kristen? Well, I don't always wake up with a smile. Just yesterday, I hit snooze. I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, I think sometimes leading a team and leading a company can be really overwhelming. And something that's helped me, especially when things are overwhelming, is gratitude. So I start every morning thinking of five things that I'm grateful for. And what it's done is it's caused me to really... Think about the small things, the things that maybe normally you wouldn't even notice, you know, and really be grateful. And it's really made me a more positive person. So my gratitude practice for sure. It's funny you say that because I got that from, maybe you got it from the same place I did that Sean Acor wrote in Happiness Advantage. That when Yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Because, you know, research finds that if you are, you know, sort of pessimistic or you're kind of down in the dumps, you do that every day for how many days? You say 21, I think, 21 straight days. And you spend two minutes of gratitude. You can literally train your brain to become optimistic. 
It's incredible. Yeah, yesterday I, I had just gotten back from three weeks on the road. And so, you know, you wake up, you're, you know you're overwhelmed. Your inbox is crazy. You have all these meetings, all these calls. And so it's just on those days especially, it's so amazing. Yeah. Gratitude, that's where it's at. Love it. Okay, let's, let's do a quick intro on your company because um, how I got to your book, I didn't know about your company. And I'm not going to say the name yet because I want you to say it and talk about it. But I found you on that TED Talk that you did that went viral. And I'm like, wait a minute, I got to find out about this lady. And then that led me to the book. I said, I got to order it. So walk us through a little bit about people not familiar with Student Made. What is it? Well, it's a cleaning company. We clean toilets and we employ primarily students. So we have high school students, college students, but we have many people who are not students. And I never thought this would be my career path. You know, if someone would have told me 12 years ago, you will own a cleaning company, I would have probably cried and begged for a different destiny because this is definitely not what I had in mind for myself. I thought I was going to move to New York, work on Wall Street. I majored in finance. And um, at 19, very broke, I went to the mall and I fell in love with a pair of jeans. And it sounds so cheesy, but I saw these jeans and I, it was like love at first sight. And when I saw them, I thought I have to have those. I will do anything, whatever it takes to buy those. And so I didn't have a job and I put an ad on Craigslist to clean one house just to buy the jeans. And that's kind of how this whole thing started. So a woman hired me. It was a complete disaster. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. She had a 4,000 square foot house. I showed up with one sponge and one spray bottle of, you know, that's it to clean this 4,000 square foot house. But nevertheless, she paid me. And I think she just wanted to help me because after that, she said, hey, what do you think about every week? You can come clean. I'll teach you how to clean. <laughs> so it just worked out. And then she told her friends about me. And that's kind of how it organically grew. But the turning point happened right before my senior year. Right. And I got this contract to clean 800 empty college apartments. I was 21, you know, so I'm clueless. I hire 60 people, no idea how to lead a team. The work is so hard. It's grueling work. And 45 of the 60 quit three days into the contract. And that for me was, I think, the moment that my whole life changed. You know, I think it was that moment that really inspired me to want to figure out how do you make a business like this work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you call that the 45, right? Yeah. And what did that experience teach you losing most of the employees you just hired? And by the way, the contract that you got, you were one person and you landed a, a contract gig that most companies in the cleaning business will probably drool over, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, think about four college students living in a place for four years and then they move out and that's what these were, you know? And they were, honestly, the apartment complexes were so desperate for cleaning companies who were willing to do the work and who had the, the workforce to handle the volume. So yeah. I kind of, I went backward, you know, I got the contract first and then I was like, oh no, I need to hire people. So yeah, I didn't have a team or anything. Mm. But I think, you know, what did that do to me? Well, first I was very shocked and confused because when they walked out, they all walked out at the same time. Yeah. And they didn't really tell me why. So I, I didn't have the insight to realize I was a terrible leader, you know, and, and I remember being mad at them and angry thinking, how could you commit to a job and then just walk out? And then I started panicking because there was a clause in our contract that basically said, if any apartment wasn't ready by the time it was move-in day, I had to pay for a hotel room. 
until mm. it was ready. And I didn't have any money. So that panic led me into solution mode. You know, how do I get these people back? And put together this idea, this plan to have a, a meeting at my house that night. The way I got everyone there is I promised them an early paycheck if they showed up. So everyone shows up. And I learned one of the most valuable lessons in leadership that night. I was just honest. You know, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. And they all came back because I think I was human. I was vulnerable. I, I was willing to admit weakness. And after that, we, we went back to the apartments. We finished our work. And that's the summer that changed everything. I turned down a job in finance. And I just became obsessed with learning how to be a leader people really wanted to follow and now here we are 12 years later. Mm, wow. You know, it's funny because it, we can say, let's jump in right into your book. But really, <laughs> your story, I mean, is your book. That, that, yeah. You know, your journey is, is documented on every page. And by the way, you, <laughs> I love your sense of humor on that book. For listeners listening right now, Krista has a wicked sense of humor. And she comes out just how she really is in real life. So I always appreciate that. Your true authentic style really appealed to me. So, uh, and it's easy to read, you know, you're just, it's in your voice, Kristen. It's like, you say it how it is. You're not hiding behind any kind of, uh, you know, I mean, this is who you are. You, you put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's talk about, you know, speaking of books, you've read a lot of books, uh, even before you landed this on the other side of understanding what true leadership is, you read a lot of stuff that tells you that the best leaders, quote, keep their people. You know, it's all about the retention and you have to have metrics for it and all that. <laughs> and your 45 walked out on you. So you felt like a failure right off the bat. Yeah. So having gone through the other side and truly understood what uh, true leadership is now, what, what's your definition of a leader? What's a definition of success now in, in terms of leadership? Yeah, I think we have the definition backwards. You know, everything okay. you read is about retention, keeping people, and the, the whole idea is culture. If you have a great culture, people want to stay. And so, of course, the 45 people walking out traumatized me. And I was so determined to never let that ever happen again. And then, so what happened after that is when people would want to leave or they would resign, I would basically convince them to stay. I would mm -hmm figure out, you know, what do, what do I need to give you to stay? Maybe it was more money. Maybe it was a different role. Maybe it was just cutting it down to fewer days per week so they could work another job as well. I was so terrified of somebody leaving because I thought that meant my company was a bad company, our culture was a bad culture, and I was a bad leader. And then over time, I think it's something I just learned by, with experience, you know, I, I learned that, you know, people have dreams. People have goals that are bigger than the organization. And maybe I realized it because I started to have dreams that were larger than student made. And I didn't want anyone to feel trapped. And I think now I, I recognize that great leaders, yes, have people who stay in the company because of, you know, the culture and the leadership. But then also, I think you're a great leader if people feel free, if they feel like they can go and they leave even better for having worked with you. And I don't think leaders are supposed to clip wings. You know, I always say we're supposed to help people get their wings. And then when they're ready to use them, we have to stand back. So what I do with my team is we do this exercise. It's five year, we call it our five year exercise. We do it once a year where I ask them to envision their life in five years. What does it look like? Where are they working? How much money are they making? Where do they live? And really in as much detail as possible. And then we make a deal to hold each other accountable to those plans and those goals. And what happens is sometimes people do say they want to move on 
but we get like two years notice. So we just had a, someone on our executive team leave and we, we literally had a 365 day resignation notice, you know, because of these conversations. So I think we have to make these conversations more normal, make people feel safe to talk about what they hope to do in their lives. And we can't, it's not a reflection on us if they leave in a bad way, it's actually great. You know, they feel like they're taking what they've learned to go somewhere else and start the next journey. Yeah. It, so it works for you to do that. But let me play devil's advocate <laughs> for a minute because we're not taught to do this. We're taught yeah. to hang on to our people. And we got to fight for our people because, you know, there's a talent shortage and all that. Yeah. And we need to keep our, our best people, even to the extent of, you know, grinding them out uh, until they no longer want to stay. And so they'll, they'll move anyway. But really, let's go back to grooming people to one day maybe, you know, get their wings and fly to coop. And why should we do that from a business standpoint even? Why should we eventually get to the point where, hey, we might lose that person? Yeah. Make, help us to make sense of that. Well, to back it up a bit, mm-hmm. student made, yes, we're a cleaning company, but I always say we're an education company. Along the way, I realized, okay, I'm learning how to be a leader And I bet the people in my company want to learn the same things I'm learning. But there was a fear. If I teach people what I'm learning, does that mean that they'll now have all these skills and think that maybe they're too good for a cleaning job and want to move on? But I think maybe just my heart was telling me, you know, no, it's the the right thing to do is to teach people. So I would, I would read a book and then I would tell everyone in the company, Hey, I read this book. If you want to learn about it, come, I'll get you pizza. And everyone would show up. So it taught me that people really wanted this. And I noticed The more I did this, the more engaged people were. So now what it looks like is we actually have formal classes that people take where they learn all kinds of things like how to build relationships and how to confront people in a productive way and how to recognize people and basically all the things you need to really be successful in your life, but you're not taught in the classroom. And so we invest so much of our time, so many resources into these classes, even though they have nothing to do with cleaning. And people always challenge me. They say, well, why do you invest so much when you know these people are moving on? This is a Mm -hmm. part-time job. And I don't know who said this, but it's brilliant. You know, it's like, okay, what if we invest in our people and they leave? What if we don't and they stay? Then you've got those actively disengaged zombies walking around, right? Yeah. And so what I found is the more you invest in people, the more engaged they are because what what it's doing is it's teaching them, okay, this organization really cares about me because they're teaching me all these things, even though they know I'm probably moving on. And then the most ironic thing happens, people don't want to leave. So I found that the more, the more we have these conversations, the more I, I make people feel safe wanting to move on, the more we invest, it's like the more people don't want to go anywhere. So now we have to actually try to push people out of student made. You know, when they graduate, we say, go on, make your mark on the world. You have to go. And they're like, but I, I want to clean toilets. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting how that works. Yeah. I, so what I'm getting from this, and you and I are both students of servant leadership. Yeah. Right? And, and, you know, we, we've read all of the Ken Blanchard books and Simon's book, Leaders Eat Last. And, and I think that's a mindset that not too many people have. That's why it's even more important that you select people that have those tendencies to want to not make it about them, but about other people, the people that you're serving. And in this case, it's your employees. And like you said, it's counterintuitive. But, you know, you flip the the pyramid upside down and you focus on the employees because what we have found in the research is when you have people that are just motivated and inspired and engaged, they're just going to put out the discretionary effort is going to go off the charts and uh, 
customers are going to be very happy. Absolutely. <laughs> so, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, you got a new generation coming up, Generation Z. I mean, years ago, we were talking about millennials, but now we got to start bringing Gen Z into the conversation, okay? So mm -hmm. the work um, that these students are doing, I'm guessing it's, it's pretty gritty, right? They're scrubbing toilets yeah. and things. Yeah. I mean, can you, let's get real for a second. What are they doing? Paint oh, a picture. It's not they, pretty. It is not pretty. They're scrubbing toilets. They are cleaning crusty ovens that haven't been cleaned in years. They're on their hands and knees with a toothbrush scrubbing tile grout. I mean, just sometimes you walk into a place and you need a hazmat suit. That's how bad it is, you know, and that's what they're doing every day, all day. No, not every job is like that, but most are pretty bad. Yeah. It's, yeah. We're, we're cleaning all day. All right. So let's get above that. And here's the leadership lesson for us. Well, how do you empower and motivate people to do that kind of work? And then take it a step further. Does it work for any generation or just, you know, people in their late teens and, and, and 20s and, and such? Well, truthfully, I've never looked at my business and thought, how do I get millennials to clean or Gen Zers to clean? You know, I, it's always just been, how do I get any human being yeah. to, to be? And I think sometimes what we do is we put people in these boxes. And, and what I've recognized is everyone has such a different life experience and things that have made them into who they are. And I think the challenge of leadership is you've got this unique group of people and you have to figure out how do you bring people together? Yeah. I think it all boils down to authenticity and, and purpose, if I had to summarize it. Mm. And authenticity, I think there's several things. I think we have to teach people how to build really authentic relationships where people feel they can really be who they are, be seen for who they are, talk about things that are not only work things, talk about things that are happening in their personal lives that are weighing on them. You know, we spend so much time at work, yet it's a place sometimes that we don't feel we can really be ourselves. And how exhausting is that? You know, and we're not able to really connect with the people we're working with. I think also in authenticity, it's about authentic communication. It's about teaching people how to communicate honestly and being an honest communicator yourself in terms of feedback and helping people grow and having those conversations around like, where do you want to be in five years? And then I also think there's this element of being who you are and owning what you're good at and what you're not good at and making people feel safe saying, Hey, I'm not good at this or I I'm weak in this area because I think you can feel alone when you've got, you know, you're in a, a role where there's some things that you're just not good at and you feel like if you ask for help, it maybe looks like you're not credible, but really how could we, how can we create the space for people to ask for help? So that's yeah. kind of the authenticity. The purpose I think is the, the job of the leader is to develop leaders around them. Like that's our purpose every day. How can you make people feel like they're growing along with the organization and they're becoming leaders because they're working here? Um, and then the other piece of it is connecting your people to the bigger purpose of the organization. So in Student Made, we always say we build leaders while we're cleaning toilets. So sharing stories of students who have really accomplished amazing things, who've graduated and done these incredible things, bringing those stories and telling them often so people are reminded there's a bigger purpose to what we're doing. It's not just cleaning a toilet. Yeah. So a couple of points here for follow-up. Um, yeah. On the purpose end, this is why you call yourself an, more of an education company than a cleaning company. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. What we say is, you know, we, we build leaders and, and we have students who actually come to apply for jobs. And what they say is, is this the place where you learn how to be a leader? 
And it's almost like they don't know we're a cleaning company. And so we'll say, yeah, but you, you know, you have to vacuum. There's gonna be a lot of vacuuming and mopping involved. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So it shows that people really want to, to learn and to grow. But yeah, we say we're an education company because that's how we view it. You know, we view it as we have this precious time with these people to give them all the tools that we possibly can to help them be successful in their lives. And how can we make every moment a teaching moment so that when they walk out these doors, they're leaving a better person, a better human being because of their experience here. And we, we really want people to look back one day later in their lives and say, you know, I am who I am to their children because I clean toilets at student made. That's, yeah. that's the experience we're trying to create. Yeah. Yeah. You're developing human beings. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So going back to authenticity and I, you know, authenticity and vulnerability are, are two peas in the pod to me. And yeah. you have been quoted as saying that vulnerability is where trust is born and vulnerability scares a lot of people. So how are you vulnerable in the workplace with your peers and your employees? I think sometimes we have the wrong idea of what vulnerability is means or is it, it doesn't always mean sitting around crying all the time you know that's not yes sometimes crying is vulnerable but there are other ways that we can be vulnerable at work I think admitting failure you know saying I don't know the answer to this or I need help or admitting weakness admitting you aren't sure of the path forward inviting people in to help you I think a lot of times we put on this front like we have it all together we never make a mistake we know the answer we and that that First of all, very isolating. It's a lot of pressure to feel like we have to figure it all out on our own. When we let people in and we let them see how we truly are, what we truly think, it builds trust because we know that not one person is perfect. You know, we know that if you're someone who is pretending like you always have the answers, there's more to the story and we don't trust you. So I think it's, yeah, it looks like asking for help and making people feel safe doing the same. And it's contagious. You know, the more vulnerable you are, I think the more vulnerable people are around you. And you're, you're basically giving them permission to just be authentic and, and be who they are. Yeah, yeah. And one of those um, ways to practice vulnerability is, uh, is you do that in your personal check-ins. Talk to me about yes. that. Yeah, so we start every meeting with something called a personal check-in. And it's a chance for everyone in the room to just say whatever they would like to say about their personal life before we talk about business. And so it does a couple things. One, it sends a message, we care about you more than we care about the work that we're here to do together. You come first. And then second, it gives people the space to share things that are weighing on them, ask for help if they need it. And what it looks like is some people will say, hey, I'm really excited about this thing I'm doing this weekend. But then others will say, I had a really bad argument with my husband or my wife this morning, and I'm really feeling off today. And so if you, if you notice that, just know it's not you. It's because of what happened this morning. You know, So it kind of it helps and gives us context as to why people maybe are acting or behaving the way that they are. And it's quick, it's a couple minutes per person. If it's a huge room of people, we'll just say check in with the two people closest to you. But it's a small thing, makes such a huge impact. Highly recommend. Mm, that's a good one, that's a good one. Okay, so the, the whole theme of the book is, is talking about all your failures and all your screw ups and, and how your mistakes made you a, a, a better leader. So besides the 45, uh, is there one epic screw up that stands out in your mind that would be a huge lesson for leaders listening? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pick the, the Kayla story. Okay. Kayla, Kayla was someone who 
had been in my company for a long time. One of the best cleaners, probably the best cleaner we've ever had at Student Made. And really had came from a rocky home life. And Student Made was like her family. I mean, she would tell us that all the time. And so I took her under my wing and really felt like it was my responsibility to really mentor her and help her become successful. She was going to college, the first person in, in her family to go to college. She was paying her own way. But there was one problem. She couldn't be on time for her shifts. In every other area, you know, she was amazing. And so it was starting to really affect the team. Um, you know, first it was 10 minutes, 15, 20. And the leadership team, a few members on leadership team disagreed with me. They, they thought, you know, we need to let her go or we have to hold her to the same standards we hold everyone else to. But I saw all these other great qualities and also her, her rocky home life. And so I really wanted to keep her in the company. Long story short, mentor of mine said, do her strengths outweigh her weaknesses. And he kind of gave me this guidance that this is how you make tough choices like this. And yes, her strengths outweighed her weaknesses. So he said, okay, then it's your job to try to help her beat this habit. But if you can't, you know, you have to give it a, a specified time. And if you can't, then you have to let her go because it's going to really affect the culture. So I worked with her 30 days. She was on time. First day she was on her own. I wasn't helping her. She was late. And I had made a deal that if she was late, I would have to let her go. And I didn't honor my promise. I kept her on the team. It really destroyed trust with me and, and a member of my leadership team, who I'm sure we'll talk about, who had been with me for so long. And I ended up having Kayla only clean my house because she started not showing up and it was really affecting the team. And then one day realized she had a drinking problem. I came home and I found beer on my counter in the morning. And, mm. you know, I think it was such a huge screw up because what I recognized is I was preventing her from getting better because I was keeping her, because I was allowing her to stay on the team, even though she couldn't do what we were asking her to do. I was really preventing her from getting the help and doing the work that she needed to do to become a better version of herself. Yeah. And so it wasn't until then that I, you know, I finally realized I had to let her go. She hit rock bottom, but she's totally rebuilt her life. You know, she's doing amazing. And so it was a really powerful lesson that sometimes the best thing you can do for people is let them go. And really it's not compassionate to keep people when they need to be let go because mm -hmm. you're, you're hurting them. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of compassion, I want to drill down on that because science seems to be uh, confirming in so many studies coming out now, there's a huge body of evidence about compassion in leadership. So what would be a few good examples for you that you display uh, compassion that really leads to results? Well, I think th this question we have on my team constantly is what's the balance of compassion and being human in your approach, but also holding people accountable and expecting people to produce and hit results. And, you know, we're a business. Yeah. And so I, we have this idea, well, this philosophy, it's called the line. And we say the line is, is a metaphor for what it takes for this relationship to work. And as the leadership team, we're, you know, we're going to stand at this line every day, invest in you, give you the tools to do your job, give you feedback, build a relationship with you. Uh, but you have to also stand here. You have to do something with those tools. You have to take the feedback. You have to be willing to get back up. You have to invest in your own growth and potential. And if you're standing there and we're standing there, this whole thing will work. But if we're not there or you're not there, it's not going to work. So we sort of use the line as, you know, okay, if someone's having just a bad day and they aren't maybe hitting something they need to be hitting, but they've been at the line every day, we can make accommodations there. But at the same time, if someone's not at the line, if they haven't been meeting us there, then that's where we have to draw a line and say, hey, you know, you haven't been meeting us here. We can't carry you every day. So I, I think we're really compassionate in the way that we deal with, um, 
you know, what happens when people don't, don't hit the metrics and they don't produce the results, but all through that lens of we are a business and it takes both of us meeting here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it takes, it takes the word compassion out of the touchy feely soft elements, because what I'm hearing is that there's tough love. You're, you're still loving your employee and caring, but there's measures of accountability in place that, that, that they have to need. So I love that. Uh, I think it was, uh, Gary Ridge that said that tenderhearted and tough-minded, when you have those two combined, you have a great leader. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So what would you tell your 21-year-old self now, if you go back in time and sat down with yourself, Mm -hmm. what would you tell that 21-year-old self about leadership? I think I would say that you really have to make every moment count with people that you, you know, I don't think I recognized at 21, the impact that one could have on someone's life. And it's not until now later when I'm seeing the impact of our culture and I'm seeing what our graduates are doing that I recognize, wow, what we did here with them was really important and it really mattered and it really made a difference in their lives. And so I just don't think I recognize that every opportunity can really be a teaching moment and you can use every moment intentionally to help build this person and, and help this person see that they're capable and what that will do for them later in their life. Oh my goodness. So I just don't think at 21, I was walking around looking for opportunities like that. I wish I, I had. Yeah. I can't help, but so I'm just going to say that the kind of work and the kind of leadership that you espouse to is mission. It's a mission. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's true mission. And of course, there's business expectations attached to that. But uh, I would only venture to guess, but you are living your dream right now. Because this, uh, you know, this, is, this is the stuff that a calling is, is made of, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I want to get into a discussion uh, about fear and love from a leadership in the work sense. And so I started asking these questions on the podcast a few weeks ago as part of the research that Renee Smith my colleague and founder of A Human Workplace, and I are conducting to kind of understand why fear is still so prevalent at work. Mm -hmm. And we're hanging on to these uh, ideals and philosophies that go back to the industrial age, 75, 100 or more years. And also, we want to find out about how love in action conquers fear, which is a better way to lead, you know, that leads to greater workplaces, healthier uh, and freer employees, which makes business sense. So I want to ask you a few questions. You were up for it? Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts on why we still find so much fear-based management styles in the workplace? I mean, what's going on? Why do people lead with the iron fist instead of love and care and compassion and the things you've been talking about in the way that you lead your employees? Oh, I could go on and on and on and on. Uh, One thing is absolutely that I think we've got success defined incorrectly. You know, one example is retention rate, but I think there's many examples of that. And I think there's a lot of pressure to be perfect. You know, it's like, look at the way we pay people. You're incentivized to not make mistakes. You know, when you hit the metric, you get this. And so there's this pressure that everyone has to perform and do it. And if they don't, they're losing. And so then it makes people lie and hide and Mm. cheat and throw people under the bus. And, you know, it's just generating this toxic environment, I think. Also, I believe that we have been taught that to be a leader, you have to be strong. And and what strength means is 
I always have the answers. I always know the way forward. I know what people need to be doing. I'm always right, you know, and we're not taught that, no, actually the best thing you can do is go to your people and say, what do you think we should do? And give me your ideas. And because maybe that makes it seem like we shouldn't be the leader. So yeah, I just think we have it all backwards. (laughs) Mm, mm. Tell me about a time when you felt afraid at work. What happened? Uh, What did you do? Or what did others do? The most frightening time I, I can think of was the day that I realized I couldn't pay anybody. I was looking at our bank account and we had some things that had really disrupted our cash flow and invoice collections and I truly couldn't pay the people in my company. And that is not a feeling, trust me, that you ever want to have ever. And I wasn't sure what to do. So I went to the leadership team and I told them this is the situation. And this was like, I mean, I just, even to say it out loud made me so sick because I thought they would be looking at me like, how could you even get us into this position? You know? And it was amazing. We immediately went into problem solving mode everyone decided to hold their pay for a certain length of time so that we could actually pay everyone else in our company. Mm. And then as a benefit to them, I actually gave everyone a bonus for holding their pay. And then it was really amazing because there was one person on the team I remember who couldn't afford to hold her pay. She was in a really tight spot. And so everyone actually decided to give their bonus to her. It was amazing. Like everybody took care of one another. We took care of the students and we figured it out and they got paid without any hiccups. Learned a lot from that about about cash flow. Huge learning moment, but scary. What was the impact on on you personally from that experience? Well, I think the impact was feeling like I I wasn't alone, you know, having others help me um, figure out a solution and then getting to a solution that really took care of everyone. You know, it, it was a horrible moment that turned into one where I took a deep breath and felt a million times better. Yeah. Now put yourself in the, uh, in the shoes of your employees in that, in that experience. What do you think the impact was on them? Well, I think for the leadership team, I think it builds a lot of trust because I think, you know, it's those hard conversations when we're honest about what's really happening that people really, number one, like want to help, but number two, learn to trust your word, you know, that you're, they know that you're going to say when things are great and when things are not great. So I built a lot of trust in our team. And I think we were able to get to the solution in five minutes. I mean, it was something that I thought all day we would be in there trying to figure this out. And it was incredible. I think people want the chance to help. We just have to give them the chance. Yeah. Okay. Flip side of the coin. Tell me about a time when you felt loved at work. What happened? What did you do? And what did others do? Okay. This was two weeks ago. We had our team offsite that we have a couple times a year, my leadership team. And I don't know, I just have these moments sometimes and I think it's normal and I just don't think people usually talk about it. Where I question like, who are we? What are we doing? Where are we going? It's almost like this little crisis period that I have. (laughs) And I question everything and does our plan make sense? And you know, and so it just so happened that I was having this little crisis the first day of our offsite, which is not ideal timing, right? So I start the offsite by just letting it all out. And I was a little afraid to say it because our team's remote. This is our first time being together in a long time. And that's not really how you want to start something. But I just, I knew that I had to get it out. And my team listened to me. They validated my feelings. They brought clarity to my emotions. And then I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't come up with like, what do we do from here? So I I actually said, can I leave the room? And can you figure this out and tell me when you're ready for me to come back in the room? And they said, yes. And so I left for like several hours and came back and they had everything. Here's what we're going to do. And I just felt so supported. 
couldn't have gotten there without them. Yeah. Okay. You shared the impact there <laughs> on that loving experience. Yeah. But what about the impact on the work itself and maybe on the team or the company from a broader perspective? I think it's the same thing as the other example. I think it's yeah. that we invite people in to help. We make the team feel as if this is our company, our vision, our this, instead of my, my, my. And yeah, I think everyone's just really invested in it because they recognize that not one of us can do this alone. And it really takes everyone being bought in to really move us to where we want to go. Mm. Yeah. So I want to bring this conversation home. But before I do that, is there any question that I should have asked but didn't? I think, I mean, no. Okay. You ask great questions. Oh, I'll thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. What is oh. really, yes, go. I just remembered because I said <laughs> we're probably going to talk about that. So one, okay. one thing and we didn't. Losing my right-hand person. Okay. Um, her name is Abby and she had been with me for, geez, eight, nine years. And when I was sharing the Kayla story, that was like the first time where our relationship started to deteriorate because Abby really wanted me to let Kayla go and I didn't and I didn't honor my word. And so the trust started deteriorating. And we just both had very different views on the way that the company should grow, the culture. And it was very painful. She ended up resigning. I wish I had had the courage to have the conversation with her sooner than she had it with me because it was just painful for both of us. And um, I think I've learned that, you know, it's sometimes you can really care about people, but it just doesn't mean that you're the best to work together. And that was just a really hard lesson too, when Mm. you lose people who have been with you a long, long time. It can almost yeah. feel like death in a way. Like you, you really grieve the person and yeah. you go through all the emotions I think that you do when you, when you really grieve. So. Okay. Okay. So a couple of questions as we come to a close, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know, whether it's uh, on a personal level or a professional level or something that uh, you want to air out? Uh, what's tugging at my heart? I just read an article the other day that said the suicide rate for 18 to 24 year olds is the highest it's been since the year 2000. Mm. So that's tugging on my heart because I'm thinking why and what can we do at student made to make people feel really fulfilled and not alone. And then how can we take that and teach it to others? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You are um, definitely sort of in the trenches of, of reversing that stat Yeah. for sure in what you do with, uh, with your company. So um, I want to end this great conversation. I wish we could go further, but uh, I want to give you a chance to bring this conversation home your way. So you have the mic, I'm handing it over. Okay. What's, what's the one thing you'd like listeners to absolutely walk away from here that will make a difference in their lives? I read a sentence in a book that I cannot stop thinking about. And the sentence is, don't die with your music inside of you. And I think we all have music. It looks different for every one of us. But we have to have the courage to get it out. And we have to have the courage to try and take risks in order to get it out. So that at the end of our life, we're not sitting there thinking, what if? What if I had? What if I hadn't? What if I could have? You know, I should have. Just try. What's the worst that could happen? You fail you know, great. But I have found that failure is amazing. And after every failure, you have an epiphany if you choose to see it that way. So get your music out. That's what I would say. Mm. I'll leave it right there. Thank you so much, uh, Kristen. You know, you are wise beyond your years. I uh, just got to say I learned from you. 
and I know our listeners did too. How do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you? Well, I just launched a new website. So excited. It's just kristenhadid.com, my name. And you can find out my book. You can subscribe to my blog. I, I do one post a week. It'll go straight to your inbox about leadership and all kinds of things. And then I have a resource page where you can get all my favorite books, the self-assessments my team and I take to learn more about who we are as leaders, just all kinds of stuff. So kristenhadid.com. Thanks for that. And thanks for hanging out with me. It's been a true pleasure. We're going to have to do it again. Yes. Thank you. So when I come back, I will give you my 60-second takeaway from this awesome conversation and the one thing you can do to improve your leadership today. Here's my 60-second takeaway from my chat with Kristen. You know, people often question her, why do you invest so much in these students? I mean, they're part-timers and they're moving on after they graduate. And she says, paraphrasing the popular quote, what if we invest in this person and they leave? But what if we don't and they stay? The more you invest in people, the more engaged they are on the job because in their hearts and minds, they know that the organization cares about them as human beings. And to Kristen, this does something to a person's heart. It impacts them deeply because when you teach and develop and mentor people at work and when you make it a safe environment for them to grow as people, even though they may move on, the most ironic thing happens. People don't want to leave. Thanks for listening. Next week, I hope you'll join me for another amazing conversation with Jerry Colonna, author of Reboot. See you next time. Hey, Love and Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.